0: Hi and welcome to this episode of The Student Journey, Mapping the Process.
1: In this last episode, we looked back at the issues that occurred in the summer of 2020 around results and university admissions.
0: In this episode, you'll hear from a range of students we've interviewed who have just completed or are currently in their final year of A levels. We think this is important because it's this group who, if PQA were introduced today, would be most impacted by this policy.
1: If you haven't already, do listen to our previous episodes to learn what exactly PQA is and why people are talking about it.
2: This train terminates at Stratford.
1: So over the last few
0: months, I had the pleasure of interviewing a range of students across England who responded to a call for participants to talk about post-qualification admissions. It was really wonderful to hear firsthand the varied opinions and attitudes towards our current university admission system, and it was great to hear the vision the students had for education more generally.
1: And before we get into the main themes, let's have them all introduce themselves.
3: Okay, so I'm TJ Kemp and I'm currently in year 13 and I study politics, physics, biology and psychology. Hi, I'm Lois. I'm 18 and
4: currently on a gap year. So at the moment, I'm working in different third sector and education roles to kind of further explore my interests in both these sectors and decide whether it's best for me to go on to study at university in the future.
5: So I'm Aaron, I'm in year 13 and I have applied for university. I have applied for law.
6: Yeah, so I'm Aidan, I'm currently in upper sixth Um studying A-level maths, further maths, chemistry, and pre-U Chinese.
7: My name's Aliyah. I am 18 years old. I'm in year 13, and I've applied to study at university.
2: My name's Imran. I'm 18 years old. I currently attend St. Angela's, and I'm in year 13, and I'm applying to university also.
8: I'm Zandi. I'm in year 13, so second year of A-levels. I have applied for uni, mostly for international relations. It's a bit different at my different unis, but yeah.
1: So when talking to students, we found that the most prevalent points were around logistics and fairness. Logistics and structure are being used extremely broadly here, but basically, they cover both the time in which students have to prepare, but also the reassurance that comes with getting everything done early as a result of this, compared with now, where there's sometimes a bit of uncertainty that students feel as they hold their conditional university place.
0: What was great about these interviews is that students were really willing to be open about how these different effects of PQA would impact them.
1: Similarly to the reports that called for PQA, the biggest argument in favour of it among students was fairness, with inaccurate predictions and teacher bias being mentioned the most.
3: Me and my friends, when applying, so I think we were one of the only schools in our area to do mocks as soon as we came back in September. So I know that our predicted grades are quite accurate, but for people mm-hmm. applying from other schools, probably less so because they haven't done mocks. Mm-hmm. So I think people would prefer the post-qualification application because mm-hmm. um, they're more accurate like mm-hmm. to what you can actually get. So, yeah, I think quite positive.
5: I think some schools may decide to predict their students higher than they actually deserve, but that is speculation on my part. Mm-hmm. because I go to a state comprehensive school we were quite good with our predictive grades but I've got friends who attended grammar school and they've said their predictive grades were higher than they were achieving. Mm-hmm. Okay.
6: One negative of applying before your know, exams is that you don't actually have your grades and in that a lot of schools tend to overpredict, <laughs> just so you get the offers and the interviews mm-hmm. but I guess if you don't actually make those then you're out of a uni place
0: So, what I found interesting about that is um, overprediction is discussed just as much as underprediction. Normally, the idea of fairness and uh, students from disadvantaged backgrounds being underpredicted kind of takes over as the main argument. But it's really interesting that students themselves um, recognize or believe that there are schools that are being a bit more strategic and overpredicting their students in the hope of gaining more offers. But I do just think it's interesting that, like, Students recognise that. I think sometimes the the argument is very, oh, students are so left wing and they care about inequality and this and this, but actually, like they recognise that some people are gaming the system and they don't think that's fair either.
1: Yeah, totally. It's really interesting that they're thinking about it, on maybe like more of a three dimensional level than people who aren't as like investigating the issue might be thinking. And it's also interesting that they, you know, students talk a lot more. They'll they'll be on these things like the student room and they'll be on all of on Twitter and they'll be like wherever like probably a load of platforms that we don't even know about and they'll be talking about you know oh what are you doing in your school what are you doing in your school oh we're doing this and that's all like something that they're they're all aware of and they're all thinking oh could I be benefiting from things that if I went to a different school that I almost went to if my mum had uh, helped me apply somewhere else etc and so, yeah, and it's just interesting to pull out those little conversations that happen and think about it on a more macro level and how that can inform what we do about policy.
0: And in addition to that kind of, you know, bigger picture approach, students were also really great at recognising the impact this has on a personal level.
8: It can kind of be the whole process of applying for uni before set like summer or before you get your results, it can be really demotivating. Um, I've had a lot of friends who were like they when they're seeing the grades their predicted grades that they have now and some teachers are just not trying to lift their grade or don't have faith that they're going to do any better it's like is there a point in me bothering with university when I'm being told I can only apply to certain places and then I've had friends who did way better when they sat their exams than was expected but because they applied beforehand they had to go through clearing and they couldn't get to places that they could have with the grades they had so I think that's a huge benefit
0: when when you had those discussions with your teachers like what were your thoughts? about I the I it's the
2: most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. We get our predicted grades and like that's what we use to apply to the universities because essentially they essentially define students. They define students in a way that they make students seem that like they can't go past that barrier. That's the maximum potential and I think the idea of that is like completely ridiculous because you could have something going on during your marks but then because you could ace your marks but you could flop your exams or vice versa like no one knows what's going to happen so the idea of predicted grades being your ticket to the future I feel like it shouldn't be that way it should be on a more fairer scale.
0: So I think listening to those pieces there it's important to emphasize that um, there are some students who were in favor of the current system but I definitely found those snippets from Zandi, Imran and Aliyah like, very emotive. Um, they're talking so passionately about what they're saying. Safiya, did it invoke any, any particular feelings in you? Yeah,
1: it was amazing to just sort of see that the students were always thinking about not just themselves, but also like their fellow students to come back to what we were talking about on the first question and just how this would affect students that, you know, even if one student, for example, was thinking about doing a particular subject and it wouldn't really affect them as much as another one. They thought what if there was a student in another situation that I know, may know of that would be disadvantaged by this and it was just it was nice to see that they all had that sense of camaraderie and and just how that would affect the judgment of the system as a whole and just more generally I was thinking that they didn't want to be boxed in you know they they always thought that at different stages that that, that they really didn't want the system to evaluate them in a certain way and they were they were worried that that would be something that was happening again it was it was really interesting to see because like we we had these sort of feelings but to see it brought to life like that I guess that would be a kind of theme with a lot of these uh, excerpts today but yeah what do you think
0: yeah I completely agree I think the way they were talking you know it wasn't necessarily just about fairness or unfairness it felt like injustice um so Zandi in particular talking about students being held back students feeling like they shouldn't even bother because so much of their application process is dependent on these predictions but considering that argument about kind of fairness and justice what's really interesting is Lois posed some quite important questions about how post-qualification admissions would work alongside contextual admissions something that I think the sector is still trying to work out
4: with um PQA like you know there's there's still um, a lot of context that you have to take into admissions just because you're giving offers after we've achieved our grades um, people's backgrounds and different things still need to be taken into context. And it isn't necessarily um, necessarily true that they're going to achieve like everyone's going to achieve the same the same standard of grades, but that needs to be contextualized and still be seen as a success, I think.
1: Yeah, this is a really important point that Lewis brings up. That it's like we need to ensure that if there's any kind of new system that aims to address a lot of different challenges that PQA aim to address, that we don't also lose sight of how contextual emissions is very important at the moment for helping a lot of students from disadvantaged backgrounds get high- access to high quality education. And we don't want to reform a system, but then create a further additional problem as a result of that. And Lewis also really nicely summarises the fears around unfair predictions when reflecting on her experience at the end of year 13.
4: With me, I think that the like the the inequality was deeper rooted than just the algorithm mm-hmm. that did, you know, have a detrimental effect on many people. Because I did see some people who were given like D's when they meant to, when the school gave them like A's or A stars, um, which was crazy. But I think it was a lot deeper than that because like people were saying oh yeah like I got this in the mock and my school gave me this um but the government have given me this but I'm like not everyone's schools like gave them the right grades either and then that wasn't something that we could appeal once the U-turn was given because the U-turn meant that like we basically couldn't appeal so I was like right like you know this school told us that like you know from our mocks or whatever or like you know we would do a lot of um we'd improved a lot and get out grades and stuff like that and like we'd we'd shown them some some sort of like you know we'd shown them that yeah. we had like improved by then mm-hmm. and but then we were kind of yeah the school didn't really fulfill our promises i know a lot of people that got rejected you know i, I was kind of heartbroken for some of them because you know people Wanted to go to, you know, top unis, like some one of my friends like she wanted to go to Cambridge and then the school didn't give her. So she kind of couldn't go. They got rejected. And like a lot of other people with their top like unis in London and stuff, they had to kind of rethink their plans and like were calling up clearing, like, you know, fouls and stuff like that. So I think that at least for me I had a year, but still like know I was thinking about doing the autumn exams but it wasn't really enough time Mm. and then now I'm like oh if I'd have said I'm doing the summer exams like they're not even happening so that's a whole another thing again but there's a lot of different circumstances like especially for me I was like um working um a lot like and I was like, oh, it's fine, I'm working my mocks, like, you know, um, both days on the weekend. And I was like, I, I quit my job just before the pandemic in February. Cause I was like, oh yeah, um, you know, I'm gonna focus on my A-levels now cause my teachers are like, yeah, you're gonna get your A's. Like I'm gonna like bang out all this revision on the, on the 12 hours that I would normally spend at work. I would do my revision for those hours up until the exam. So I was like, things like that weren't taken into account that I would have those 12 hours extra that I spent stacking shells and Sainsbury's <laughs> and, and would instead and like people don't see that like other people who, um, who weren't kind of for example working for example and were already spending that time on revision it should be taken into account that people had other things people had personal circumstances.
0: So to add context to what Lois is saying I think it's important to highlight that um, Reflecting on our previous episode where we spoke a bit about uh, the kind of centre assessed grades which were used in the government U-turn instead of the algorithm, it's important to note that Lois was disadvantaged by those centre assessed grades um, and really highlights here the kind of teacher bias that exists within our system. Yes, an algorithm is really bad and um, essentially really disadvantaged students, but that doesn't mean teacher predictions are always fair. Um, I don't want to use this as an opportunity to slander teachers because actually, you know, I, in most cases, respect their professional judgment. I think they do a great job. Um, But students do, again, feel very hard done by um, in, in their schools when it comes to making a decision about their potential attainment at one present moment. And I think, again, Lois really highlights how different that that present moment when the prediction was made was or you know when she was doing her mocks in comparison to what what would be the case in in the kind of final exam
1: yeah and it really brought home as well when we were listening to the uh, latter part of that and hearing about her um taking the work at Sainsbury's and how that affected the um her sort of journey through A-levels it's always worth mentioning that there's lots of students with many many different circumstances and these things it's very important that any kind of new system going forward needs to take them into account and and understand how um, this would this would affect their journey there. But like the obviously this year especially, it was it was not taken into account in the same kind of way and and, and not really not some. It's obviously something that's quite difficult to measure, I suppose, in a way that where we're trying to fit or what a sort of one size fits all thing to to evaluate things fairly. But at the same time, that you you do sort of wish there had been some way for. Um, there to be more input and and recognise the contribution and the different uh, level of um, involvement that different students could have in this unique year. So logistics, time and mental health were also some of the interesting factors that students came up with when talking about PQA and evaluating whether or not it was a good thing to introduce or not.
3: So yeah, I think it would be better because you'd probably be a bit more clear on what you wanted to do after you've got your grades and stuff. Um, and I think it would be like less stressful because like you don't have the anxiety of like waiting to see if you've got into the university in the first place.
0: Mm-hmm. Speaking of like your friends at school, do you think they would all say the same thing or do you think they'd have different opinions?
3: Yeah, I think they'd like have the same opinion as me because I think they were in the same position as well where it happened quickly Mm -hmm. Um, and where they had to, yeah, it was a lot... And we had to, like, judge it off the website more so than Mm -hmm. visiting the actual universities themselves. So, Mm
7: -hmm.
3: yeah, it was quite a lot of pressure and I think it'd be less so if it was done later, yeah. Mm
7: -hmm. You could also go through the system and then realise that you want to apply for something else or like the route is just basically I feel like the fact that you're making such a big decision at such a young age is crazy I had a moment the other day where I started considering if I should have applied for geography and I'm so passionate about the course that I applied for and know that I really will enjoy it but then I start considering other things so I just feel like the process in itself doesn't allow sort of like flexibility or I guess room for, for any change it's quite rigid
2: I've got siblings that have gone through the university process the education system but I wanted to take it on myself I wanted to because at the end of the day it's my choice it's my decision so I wanted to try and go through the process by myself obviously I would ask if I needed help but I wanted to focus on myself and I just found it really difficult because like it is so condensed like how what you need to put the conditions that you need for everything and like even even to, as simple as saying picking what unis you want to go to because there's so many things you need to consider which I did I, at the time I just did not realize like for example different unis do different modules of different subjects and the different subjects are different subtopics or like there's so much for it, of it that you really struggle if you went through it by yourself so
0: What's also interesting is Aaron, who you'll hear next, also points out the the stress that this system has, or sorry, the stress that um a, a post qualification system would have on those who are involved in the admissions process but aren't necessarily students.
5: Well, for as I said, it's the fairness argument, mm-hmm. but I do like the current system in mm-hmm. that say, Oxbridge medicine applicants apply early so they can have their interviews in December, mm-hmm. and then. Everyone else, they can apply at pretty much any time they want up until the January deadline, which has now been extended. Mm -hmm. So I do like this system, but I do see the arguments for post-qualifications admission in the fact that you're not messing around with predicted grades. For example, your predicted grades may be BBV, but you can walk out with AAB and go to a uni with higher entry requirements under a Mm post-qualifications admission.
0: So what was really interesting about those snippets, is students are super aware of how much they need to do as part of the application process and how little time in which they have to do it. I thought Imran was really good at giving an overview of, you know, the fact that some students do get support with the system. You know, they do have older siblings who have been through the process or even parents or, you know, teachers who are very experienced in supporting students through this. Um, But if you are a complete beginner or you don't have as much support or guidance, it really is a lot to do in the amount of time available.
1: Yeah I completely agree and thinking back also to what TJ said it was really interesting to think about the differences especially in a year like this where the lack of ability to visit a university in person um, and, and really get a kind of sense of it as well as just you know the sort of anxiety of waiting you know to see if you could even get into the university in the first place and how under PQA that would be mitigated and perhaps be beneficial to students who in an, in, uh, under the current system would be worrying about that kind of thing a lot. It's really interesting to think about that. It's also really interesting to think about the motivation aspect for students, such as having a new system might be better in terms of the decision-making and in terms of the organisation logistics, but could it really prove demotivational to students who often find it beneficial to have exams as a goal to work towards? I guess in terms of pros,
6: you get all the stuff out of the way <laughs> before your actual A-levels. Um, I mean, it's kind of the system that's been going in place for well, ever since I've heard about UCAS. There's a kind of structure to it and almost tradition, if you will. Um, Everybody goes through it, you know the system. It's all out the way before, I don't know, January, whenever you sit your mocks and then you kind of progress onto your mocks and then A-levels. Um. I guess at the same time if you had to apply after exams some people might find the stress of for instance preparing for interviews and assessment tests whilst they're uh, preparing for their A level exams Mm -hmm. and some people might not want to prepare applications and things straight after they finish their final exam maybe instead you know go off and do whatever but Mm -hmm. I guess exam uh, uni applications might not be at the top of the list Yeah, I guess even with the goal of exams, I think a lot of people feel that extra bit of motivation, and they've got a target to aim to. Whereas I know that over virtual learning, um, you get a lot of people who kind of like slow down and (laughs) kind of can't be bothered sometimes.
8: Mm. I like the fact that it's kind of something to look forward to. So, like, you've applied and you hear back from unis, but it can be give or take. So it's stressful and exciting, um, but there's not really that much that I like about the current system so
7: I mean <laughs> I mean despite how stressful it could be um and all the reasons that Iran like clearly outlined I would have to say it just forces you to get it done um I mean if we had a longer time um to sort of figure it out I mean I don't I feel like there's a balance right that you need a good enough like not too long but not too short and I feel like with my deadline, because I applied for the earlier deadline, it meant that like I had to just get it done and out of the way. And I ended up, by the time I properly started, I probably did it in three weeks, three, four weeks. That to me like, doesn't sound like a long a long time, but it meant that I just had to get it done and had to finish it. Whereas when you keep in mind, you know, the, the January deadline for me, because I was applying for the early one, that sounded so far away. And so you don't really start looking at your application or thinking about uni until... You realise you have to get it done. Um, so when you look at the deadline, I mean, it ensures that you get it done. What was interesting to note is that, you know, they were quite
0: positive about the current system in that it it motivates students to work towards a goal, whether that's a university offer. Um, having a tight deadline can really encourage people to get get things done on time. And I think a concern is would the PQA system encourage students to have that drive and and if that's not the case you know what what could be put in place to ensure they have that support they have that motivation they have that yeah that drive to to really work towards a goal
1: yeah I think that what it highlights is that the PQM model is something that doesn't necessarily have to happen in one concrete way or another and even once it's implemented it could be something that's slightly modified year on year as a lot of existing models across education are you could make it so that maybe things if if in an earlier draft of the model things are more open and you have slightly more time to do it such as with it's like a january start you could make it later so that actually it would be something that if uh it turns out that students would prefer a shorter amount of time and universities may prefer trying to bring it back to the october or november start then maybe you could condense it and and have it like that so that it would be both more motivational, and also perhaps logistically easier to organise. But I think it, it does. It is a very valid point that having that thing, that goal to aim for, is a is a motivating factor for students. And also, having the ability to get these this thing done quite quickly is is something that students find uh, rewarding and interesting. As for all the flaws of the clearing system currently, there is something nice for students about being able to get an offer and a university place and a brand new chance at a future in a very short um, period of time, even if it is a flawed system, so.
0: I was going to say, I totally agree with you. It's a system that students seem to like, um, but it may not be a good enough reason to kind of keep the current system, so I do hope people are really considering how that that motivation can be kept in on PQA. One of the things you brought up was, you know, a potential later start to university, um, and that is something students did discuss.
8: I think it might be a bit hard logistically to do that in the sense that just the first year start in January and then everyone else is starting in September. However, I don't think it would be that problematic because I know, for example, in South Africa, we start, I say we because that's where I'm from, but in South Africa, the term starts in January. Mm -hmm. So it's like the academic year is your normal year. So Mm -hmm. it's not like out there or radical. In that scenario, it was that you'd get, you apply for uni after summer. I think there should be a lot more help, like hands-on in terms of helping students apply and then preparing for uni once you get your um, acceptance. Because I know for me, for example, applying for uni was a very lone wolf thing. I went and found help alone. So with all that extra time, I think it should be a much more hands-on process with as much help as possible so that people don't feel behind or left out because you're out of education already.
5: It was quite conflicted. I... Do you think it would increase fairness but it would also be a logistical nightmare in many ways which was my second thought so i don't know how practical it would be
0: i guess could you elaborate so logistically what what would
5: be difficult who would it be difficult for i think it would be difficult for both students and universities if you think you're all getting your results at the same time so you'd want to be applying as quick as you could and then universities would have a flood of applications to consider in the space of about a week.
8: Mm-hmm. I
7: mean, that doesn't sound like a bad idea, does it? Um, there's no, I mean, I guess the only reason why I can imagine people having a problem with it is because they're so used to the fact that we start earlier. Mm-hmm. And so if we always just started in January, I just initially thinking, I don't really see an issue with it. I mean, it also could act as a sort of like safety net when we think about the current climate we've been in. and perhaps how long it will take for us to sort of finally get out of this sort of this space that we're in right now with you know COVID and school and exam cancellations um who knows if exams are going to be cancelled again next year um and so with things starting a little bit later then it means that you know there's more sort of time to sort things out um you know exams could be pushed back and then you can still go through the same system hopefully you know it's a little bit fairer and then you go to uni in January like I don't really see a harm in it Um, I don't know, what do you think, Imran?
2: Yeah, you know, I completely agree with that time thing. Like, for for example, that COVID thing with exams being delayed, like, you don't know what can happen. So that is actually one good thing. And another thing is, you could say that having that, what, I guess five months of, like, post-exam stress, you can you have that chance to sort yourself out, like, to prepare for your uni and to make sure, because you know how Leo was saying that, she didn't know whether to pick geography or to pick another subject. Like she was in a really big dilemma. Like you still have that time to focus on yourself and you still know what you want to do in the future. And you can really spend that time on just evaluating everything and moving forward. This station is London
8: Bridge. Change here for the Northern Line and National Rail Services.
1: Well of course we now know that exams have been cancelled since the time of recording those interviews um, and that's been something that was quite a seismic thing for a lot of students in their year group. Was there anything that surprised you Erin when interviewing these students and thinking about what they were saying?
0: Yeah so I think I think quite a few things surprised me. First, Firstly how many students were just willing and eager to come forward and I think it, it shows that students in this age group are really excited to talk about education and are really kind of active in talking about the things that impact them. Um, I think I was also quite interested to hear that they were thinking beyond themselves, you know, what, what does this mean for universities? what does this mean for teachers you know it's not it's not just us being impacted by this policy and finally I think that it was really nice to see how much fairness means to these students um, I don't know if this is a generation z thing or z or whatever they're called you know I don't really want to <laughs> place values on people um, but it was interesting how much fairness came up in in both terms of you know over prediction and underprediction. prediction um, it's very clear that students want a education system and probably a society Uh, in which things are done fairly equally or you know just. Um, So I think I think that's interesting and I think it's a very interesting year for for these students to to be thinking about that with you know so many decisions about how exams are graded and awarded but all in all really enjoyed the discussion.
3: All change please this train terminates here all change.
0: So we really enjoyed making this episode and I think it really emphasises the need for student consultation and involvement in changes that affect this group. We'll now end with this amazing point from Aliyah and Imran.
7: I feel like conversations like these are really important because especially as young people we're so used to just kind of being really passive in our education and so we can you know we go in we enter this stage of life where we have to make these decisions and just accept it for the way it is but that doesn't necessarily mean it's right because we have a lot to complain about um yeah okay there may be some positives but we there's it is essentially flawed um and so conversations like this enable us to sort of reimagine what it could look like and hopefully encourage some sort of change or transformation in it I mean it's not impossible for things to change and yeah I mean even yeah there's so there's so much I could say and I'm, I'm sure there's a load of other students and adults that will have a lot to say of it as well but I mean we need to continue these conversations so that we can actually like push for it to be reformed a little bit thanks for listening to the student journey mapping the process
1: you can support the podcast by following us on spotify apple youtube or wherever you get your podcasts from
0: please also follow us on twitter at student journey one and on instagram at student journey underscore podcast
1: and we will see where the journey goes in our next episode